This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 143. And for this week's episode, I was joined by none other than Troy Pottinger. This could be a great week for deer hunting, no matter where you are in the country and some more great times ahead of us. And Troy explains the importance of a scrape and how hunting scrapes have molded his hunting style to figuring out mature whitetail bucks. But in this episode... Man, he shares a ton of information with specific stories that go along with certain strategies that Troy shares. And early on in this podcast, Troy talks about a pattern to specific months when it comes to killing whitetails over these scrapes, how he prioritizes hunting community scrapes in October specifically, the correlation with cold fronts and bucks hitting scrapes, and the importance of terrain features to create a mock scrape or where to locate these primetime scrapes. These are just a few things that Troy really goes in on during this episode and like this is the episode to get out a pen and paper and write this stuff down because i'm telling you some really great things and troy's so passionate when he's talking about this stuff and very thankful he took the time to come on share this information uh with me and also with you uh listening so enjoy this week's episode thanks again troy uh, for coming on and just do a quick rundown for this past week uh, in the woods here in Pennsylvania. It was kind of a slow week for myself as far as hunting goes. Uh, I was personally able to get out once for myself and uh, two other times with my daughter uh, just to get her out there and get some experience for her in the woods and have fun with her. No no shots were fired, but uh, man, it was so awesome to hear her just say how much fun she had with me just saying she had the best time. So hopefully later down the line this year, we could still get her to connect on a deer, but uh, big time's coming up. For, for us, though, and Dimitri got a doe down, so good job to him. Congrats to that. And uh, hopefully we got some great times ahead of us in the woods. So best of luck to everybody out there, and we'll see you next week. Antler up. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to share with you a discount code from Black Rifle Coffee. And Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. So fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or your first club coffee club subscription. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platforms Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. 
All right, everybody, let's get into this week's episode. Well, well, Troy, let's uh, let's get right into it, man. So I, I just want to quick, you know, not because of time's sake, just because, man, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, you don't know who, uh, you know, already know who you are in a sense. And if, if, if not, man, definitely look them up because, and I'm talking to the, to our listeners right now, because you have done a lot, even for me on the outside of things of just listening and, and changing techniques and having a different opinion about certain things. And, you know, Troy, you're coming from Idaho's Northern Panhandle, just like myself, a PE teacher. We're, we're, we're both hunting big woods, you're, big woods. You're obviously on a whole different level out there and I, uh, in, in Idaho with that, but man, welcome to the show, man. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me. Hey, great to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. And we, we definitely have some parts of our lives that are very similar, including whitetails and a line of work. So now it's super cool. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Dude, awesome stuff. And, you know, when we talk about the big woods hunting and we talk about, I know, you know, highly pressured, you know, whitetails, especially here where I'm coming from in central PA and back at home in northeastern Pennsylvania, mainly the pressure is coming from the humans. You're on a, a different beast there. You have all the ty- different types of predators for your whitetail. So I really want to dive down deep. And Troy, when this episode gets released, this is going to be kind of the prepare- preparing for that scrape week, preparing for debunking that whole October lull stuff. So right. that's where I really want to dive into because that's the thing that ex- excites me. Like I, I posted on Instagram when I think of middle of October and I think of scrapes and just now, anytime I think of scrapes, it's, it's, you know, it goes to, to you. And that's why I was like dying to, to have the opportunity to have you on. So, you know, let's kind of, I guess, jump into it, Troy, with saying, you know, explain, I guess, the kind of, uh, the importance of a scrape and how that kind of has a, you know, kind of made, made you, uh, the hunter that you are today. Well, it, Jeremy, it goes way back. Um, being an Idaho guy, um, for your listeners, um, it, it's a complex equation of the, the regulations, when I can hunt whitetails, uh, what I'm allowed to hunt them with, which is basically 100% nothing but scent, and that's it. And, being, you know, no bait, no feed, no nothing in the state of Idaho. Growing up, and, and uh, wanting to bow hunt and wanting to bow hunt in probably the biggest mountainous country you could imagine bow hunting a whitetail in. Um, and just all those things, you know, uh, are obstacles that I face. And then you throw in this predation, uh, into the equation that's unmatched. I, I literally, don't think you can find a area in the United States that has the predation that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an unbelievable mountain lion population, uh, a devastating wolf population, uh, unbelievable amount of black bears um, population and to hunt. And then we have grizzlies all over upon us now. Jeez. So, and that has, that's manifested over the last 40 years of my whitetail hunting. Um, I am 52 and I mean, I'm not joking when I say I dove into this at 11 years old. I, um, I grew up, 
in northern Idaho and uh, actually moved to where I still reside within 50 miles of where I grew up, I, where I reside now. And it's because of the whitetails, why I've always stayed. And I love this country. And I love Western Montana and I love uh, BC and, and I absolutely love Eastern Washington. I just love this triangle, I guess quadrant, if you count Canada, of, of country up here that basically throws everything at you that you can imagine and then throw in almost a two month long rifle season. Um, Quite a bit of Indian uh, reservation type ground intermixed. So then you deal with a five month long rifle season that starts in, in July. So Jeez. you put all that in your mind and you think about this two month long rifle season. And this is mountainous logging country with roads cut into everything. And even though it's huge country, there's ways to get in. Um, whitetails have had to figure out a way to avoid it all to survive. And I've, I've, I'll say it, and I've said it before, and I'll say it till the day I die. The only reason that I am afforded the opportunity to hunt the caliber of bucks that I find, which I've never really got to talk about in, in detail, how you know what it takes just to find the kind of caliber of buck I want to hunt. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's almost stupid. And most people just would say you're stupid to even put that much time in to finding them. But the point is to find the caliber of buck that I'm interested in, in this scenario that is killable and that you can get to and kill, it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a feat because the whitetails here that make it to five years old are just incredibly sharp. And they are in tune. They're like a high-level, top-end Olympic athlete. Right. They are... They are so in tune, their environment, every response stimulus that you can imagine, they, be, they are literally hunted day and night, 365 days a year. If they get a couple days off during a year of not being, you know, have a wolf, wolf pack come through or a mountain lion in the area or a grizzly or a black bear come through, it's probably like a vacation to them. You know, right. if you can imagine that. Yep. And then you throw in the humans from August 30th until after, until Christmas. So, so for your listeners, put that into perspective and then only target in, in immense country, very low deer densities, and then only target five-year-old bucks and older. Right. And then only with a bow and arrow since the 1990s. So that's kind of my backstory. And it's, it's, it's my passion. It's what I love. It's the reason why I didn't ever leave this for greener pastures. And I could have moved anywhere and taught anywhere. My wife and I could have, you know, I could have moved to the great States. I really could have, but I never wanted to, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be the guy that stayed and did it in my mountains and I'll do it till the day I die. Well, when you talk Troy and talk about what are you kind of doing? Because I know for myself growing up in Northeastern Pennsylvania and hunting here in central Pennsylvania, I would say now this will be going on, I believe year five for me. And man, I would say the last two years I've been going in to each season a little bit more prepared and finding 
more matured bucks, whether it be on camera or on sighting while I'm hunting. And I'm taking the knowledge that I'm gaining from listening to podcasts, listen to the the guests that I'm having on our own podcast and getting out there and pushing myself to get better as a hunter and better as an individual. You know, what, like how you were saying, just what you are thrown at you on a physical kind of challenge in general of, of the terrain features, you know, the highest elevation that I'm going at back at home is 2000, you know, foot elevation, I guess you could say. So not what you're doing. Like you see whitetails going at 10, eight, 8,000 elevation. So like, what are you doing when you start figuring these really old mature bucks out? Like, where are you, what are some of the the steps you're taking to, to go in there and say, listen, this is exactly where we need to be and go and look and find the sign needed to, to find these mature bucks. Um, I, you know, I have stuff that runs up to eight, 10,000 feet, but just to be fair to your listeners, because I want to be spot on. Um, the elevation for my whitetails top end and got, you know, guys have listened to a lot of my podcasts. So they'll say, Oh, Charlie, you didn't say that exactly the same last time. Well, like the very top, top end of elevation that I'm finding them in and they're huntable is probably 6,500. Right. Maybe seven. And that's going to be early season when it's real high. So just to be fair to your listeners, the majority of my season, once I get past September, and September out here is like August in a lot of states, um, like we're on fire out here right now, literally. Uh, we have forest fires everywhere. Um, as we speak, I've got a forest fire right now that's probably already eaten one of my best tree stands and best grapes. Oh. Um, but just, just to... Just to be fair, this this whole elevation thing for me runs from, you know, the river bottoms are can be really good, even mountainous country. So we'll say, you know, thousand feet, fifteen hundred feet, and then vertical up to six thousand is very fair to say. And a, a more uh, just creamy, juicy area, great, great chances of finding a big white tail in that I like that 35 to 55 and if you ask me where if I had to pick one 500 foot range of elevation to kill a big white tail in these mountains in these three different states that I hunt and that I scout I would say 45 to 5,000 is my favorite yeah um and that's because of wind and thermals that's because of where these mature bucks have figured out the best survivable habitat to stay alive in with the predators and the hunters. And then they can also monitor with all the thermals and wind and travel routes in these mountains. It gives them the best success with daily thermals when they're running horizontal lines for 10 miles a day during the rut. (laughs) It allows them to monitor more deer than you can imagine because of the thermals. Right. If that adds up. Yep. Yep. So I dive into, you know, various elevations, you know, from 3000, maybe up to 55 to six, but I've always found that sweet spot for whatever reason. I mean, I, I shouldn't say for whatever reason, there are some reasons I believe. And it's that, it's that habitat. It's that dense coniferous forest uh, 
security cover that runs for not 10 miles, but 50 to 100 miles sometimes. Um, unbroken, huge tracts of mountainous country. You know, a lot of times the deer will have to travel up to six, 7,000 feet to get through a pass and get on the other side of the mountain. But I usually find them in that, that 45 to 55 area, the kind of bucks I'm after. And, and, and I feel like it's those bucks have figured out that in the mountains, that gives them the best chance to stay alive because of the way the wind and the thermals work at those elevations. Oh, I just going to say, you know, the predators still run that a little harder, but, but not as much because the predators are smart. They, they zone in on the easy does to kill and cow elk that are easier to get to. And you'll find too, with, you know, guys that are elk hunters will listen to this. Some guys will, and they, they'll say the same thing. And those big bulls will hang high for a reason. And the only time they spend much time with cows, just like a whitetail buck, is when they got to take care of business in the rut. So trying to kill these whitetails, and I've, I've successfully killed all of my whitetails in a very evenly uh, spread out numbers through all the months. September, October, November, December, doesn't matter. Um, and I attribute to that to just my... Uh, you call it film study if you were a football player, but it's my time in the woods. Just, I can't even I can't even add up how many years I've spent just putting miles and hours and how you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen hour days on, especially when I was younger, just figuring out the woods. But you know, it, it all has just added up over the years and made sense to me with bucks and bulls both, and and it's because they're surviving and they're staying in the best place that they have afforded to them to survive. So that's, that's where they hang. And then they move in on the ladies when they need to. And then they, and then they go off and live their hermit lifestyle pretty much 11 months out of the year. Right. Let me ask you this question. I don't know. I, I, I hope I could uh, ask it in a, the correct way, you know, with having such a widespread out, uh, high success, you know, killing these, these bucks over, you know, like you said, September, October, November, December, have you noticed like any sort of, I guess, pattern when it comes to those specific months that you, yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. That's a great, nobody's, nobody's asked me that before. That's a great question. Um, yes. I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that for a long time. <laughs> well, anything, uh, that, anything that you could kind of dive into, you know, I mean, in and really some of the key ones that I guess that you would like to talk about when it comes to those months. Yeah. And, and I think it does carry over too. what, what, what I'd share with you in the mountains, I believe it carries over pretty much everywhere, but on a smaller scale when it comes to the amount of land that it takes. So, and it might carry over a lot to you guys that hunt the Eastern mountains and the mountain country and the big woods. And I think it would carry over like in Michigan stuff too, in those great big, huge tracts of land that are swamps and whatnot. You just have to get past the, the, you know, some guys will listen to somebody talk on a podcast and, and because I say mountain or bench or ridge or whatever, the same type of whitetail survival may work in a swamp too. You just have to kind of think, how does this whitetail buck use a swamp to his advantage and the wind to his advantage in a swamp like Troy's bucks are doing in the mountains, you know, or how does a whitetail buck in big farm country use these type of advantages he's talking about in hill country in Southern Ohio. Right. You know, so, so the, um, 
the the thing that I have found spending so much time of my life devoted to individual specific bucks. And I started this in the late nineties where I started saying, I'm going to kill a buck. I know. And if I don't know him, I'm really not interested in killing him unless he's, you know, unless I'm running out of time or he's a tremendous trespasser, then I'll kill him. <laughs> so it was always just really important to me to get to know a buck and put time into him and earn him. So, you know, to start in that early season, uh, and early season for me is all of September, starts August 30th. The only way I kill big whitetails, the big mature hermit type bucks, and, and when I say big, I mean five plus year old bucks that I'm interested in. Like right now, the buck I'm trying to kill, I have to be close to his September favorite bedding zone in the mountains. Right. Now, that may not sound like much, but it's a lot. I mean, that's a big deal to deal with in mountainous country with predators and elk hunters running through the woods and tromping through the mountains. I mean, elk hunters cover a lot of ground and they blow stuff up. So um, that early season, that real early season, that might be October for you all back east, but you got you have to be camped out in their favorite hideouts, their bedding zones, and you got to be close to them real close and you know to to come back to that one variable that's always worked for that always has worked for me because it'll work year-round on a whitetail buck that's where i employ the scrape mm -hmm. and the scrapeology so to speak the science of a scrape you can throw it a big whitetail it's ingrained in his dna especially when he lives in big huge country big wooded country that's his only way of keeping track of all the social life in the area that he lives in. So what I do with those big whitetails that I'm trying to kill right now is I get into where his most favorable living quarters are during this month of September. And sometimes when he goes to hard horn, he moves on me, but I'll have that place figured out too. And sometimes it takes a couple of years to to figure out, especially if he's a three, four, five mile mover on me when he goes to hard horn. So I have to know where he's going to bounce to right away into right. A, maybe a different drainage or a different mountain ridge. And that just takes an immense amount of scouting right. and time put in. But anyway, I get close to his favorite bedding zone. And then I move in on him. And I, the one thing that I'm always able to trick a big white toe with and never have him spooked from is my scrapes. So I will put one on purpose, a mock, near his favorite bedding zone that I find him in, depending on what month it is. And obviously it all changes once that rut starts kicking in. We're going to talk about this, you know, when it gets into October and November. Yep. Um, but I throw that right in his face. So then he's got to deal with, he's in his favorite area. He feels pretty comfortable and safe that he can survive there that time of the year away from the early archery season and the early elk hunters stomping through the woods. And he gets to an area where he's kind of left alone and that's where I'll infiltrate and set up on him and I'll build my scrape as a trap. And I treat it just like a trapper would a trap line. Um, and I'll use the wind. Anytime I go into a place, the wind to me looks like when I'm in the, when I'm in the woods and I feel the wind moving and I watch it and I watch it in the, all the old man's beard that flows and all that's in all of our trees out here. I can, I can study the wind just incredibly because of the old man's beard that hangs from all my timber. So when I get in there, wind to me flows like water and I watch it 
and I understand how thermals work every day, and I know exactly what the thermals are going to do no matter where I'm standing in the mountains with a prevailing. And I'll just spend a lot of time breaking it down. And then I'll, the reason I do that is I throw that trap at him, and that trap is that scrape. So I place that scrape to work in my favor to send scent to him in his favorite bedding zone or hideout. He's usually above me, almost always. I'll usually come in lateral and set up on him once I once I've found him, um, and that's through trail cameras and whatnot. I rarely ever see a whitetail buck in this heavy coniferous forest. Uh, my eyes because you just you can't see but 50 yards in front of you hardly anywhere right so you don't you don't glass for them where i hunt them hardly at all unless there's clear cuts then you can glass for them in the clear cuts and i've killed some big bucks big bucks are in trouble with me if they allow me to glass them in a clear cut (laughs) a high log and clear cut because then i can watch them from a half a mile away or a mile away so anyway back to what i'm you know just staying on course here i throw that trap at them and what I'm doing is confusing his, confusing him a little bit, or really, actually, it might not even be confusing, but the reason I say confusing is I run all my cameras on video so I can really watch them when they come in for the first time. I throw something at them that they're almost surprised that it's there, but it smells right, it looks right, it's so authentic that they, they almost, tre- they don't almost, they do, they treat it like, what in the hell, how, do I miss, how did I miss this? Mm-hmm. So then they'll frequent it. And they'll, and my most mature bucks will often frequent it the most. Now, if I tip my hat to them and they figure out there's a human involved, there's some human scent in there, then they'll just do it at night. And then I'll have to, sometimes I'll have to move on them, leave it alone for a while. But if I don't tip my hat to them, I get them in the daylight all the time. And in a good example is I've got a spot right now where I'm trying to kill this one specific buck. And I, I mean, I literally pulled the card two weeks ago. And it's such a great setup and just an incredible location. And due to a bunch of factors that aren't allowing humans to get into it and to the fact that I'm willing to put the extra 50 miles in to get into it and come in a long way in and drive over roads that most guys really don't want to and put the time into, I've got four five-plus-year-old bucks there that are just incredible. Now. Incredible for my mountain country. Are they as big as Iowa bucks? Probably not. But to to get four or five year old whitetails in one spot on one scrape is pretty hard to do. Yeah. Now the amount of work that I'm doing to go to do this is stupid. It's like why would most guys be like, you know, it costs (laughs) costs 150 bucks just to make the trip and fuel 200 bucks. No. And my hunts right now, because I work for a living and have a lot going on with my son playing college football, are 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 uh, after work is I can hunt the stand for two hours. So how many guys want to spend $150, $200 to hunt the stand for two hours to get a shot at a great buck and then probably sleep four to five hours a night max to do it? Right. You know, and and I, and that's what I love. That's what I get a high off of is doing that kind of stuff. Sleeping in my truck, coming in the night before, being ultra quiet, hiking into the stand, being alone in the mountains away from people. And it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Um, fight, you know, dealing with forest fires right now. Um, it's just that whole equation. But I've got a buck there to meet. You know, I've got a buck there that's a buck of a lifetime for most people. And 
It's a buck I have four years of history with. And this location, due to a bunch of wildfires and stuff this year, has actually pushed some other big bucks in there with him. So, early season, got to be close to any buck, you big buck you want to kill, bedding area, zone. I like to call it a zone in the mountains because it's bigger than a small area. Um, I use these scrapes that I build as a trap to constantly send scent to him on a daily basis based on how the thermals push it to him and up into his area where he likes to bed. And I try not to infringe right on his bed because in the mountains, if you do it, they treat it just like a wolf or a mountain lion or anything. They'll bail, they'll bounce. They might, they might move two, three miles away. Now, if somebody tells you the buck won't do that, they've never hunted where I am. They've never hunted the predators that I deal with. If a whitetail buck in the mountains out here sits in his bed and gets bumped by wolves or a lion and just comes back to his bed right away, that lion and pack of wolves will be there to kill him. They'll yep. wait for him. Yep. So they have to play a different game out here. And anybody that doesn't hunt with lions and wolves has no business telling people what a whitetail buck will do in his bed in this kind of country, if that makes sense. No doubt. You know, they will move on you. So my point about that is I have to be on my A game and not make mistakes. Yo, you have to be a step ahead of him. Step ahead of him because he's going to move in October, November too. Yep. He's going to pick up camp. He's going to go into his favorite girl areas, his female areas. And he's going to start monitoring in October and really hitting those big community scrapes in October. And, and so I play a game September, early October in one area on him. And then I'm probably going to have to move with him. Now, every now and then I get lucky and a big whitetail has everything he wants right there. So he'll stay through the season. But for me personally, and I was thinking about this the other day, that's about one in 10 bucks. If I'm lucky, I'm a mature buck. Most of them move on me. They they just have learned over the years their favorite places to be month to month to month. And also, that's food source driven. That's water availability driven. That's hunting pressure driven. And that's predator driven too. So it's just so many factors that are, you know, range cattle driven, which is crazy. I mean, I deal with range cattle all the time up in the mountains at four or 5,000 feet. Yep. Cows will come through and just ruin your whole setup. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> that is but crazy. Back to kill, but back to killing these deer, you just have to do a lot of work. And like you said, you got to be a step ahead of them. You cannot be behind them because if you're behind them, you're just chasing your tail the whole season. Right. And, and I want to finish with this for your listeners. So this buck I'm trying to kill right now, the only way I can access this saddle, the only way I can access it, literally without walking seven or eight miles from a different road, which is just stupid. I would never be able to hunt it because I couldn't get there. It'd be a nightmare because I have to access from the West. And that's my least favorite direction to access. And that's why that buck lives there. And that's why there's a few bucks in there because they've got this area figured out to where really hard for a human to get on them because we get a ton of West and South winds. Mm -hmm. So, What's the only time I can hunt this whitetail when I get a north or an east or a combo wind of a northeast? And it's hard to get those kind of winds this time of year out here in the northwest. So so 
So every time there's a north or an east wind or a northeast wind, guess where I'm at? You're in the woods. <laughs> I'm on that deer. So I have to have backups, and I do have backups that I can hunt while I don't have those winds. So, yeah, that's that in a nutshell with a lot of info and a lot of talk. But I'm always throwing that trap at them, always working on them, and then I have to move with them in October and November, which I know you wanted to get into that whole scraping in those months too and how I'm using those to help. And that all is great stuff because, like you said, it's almost like how you're using that in September is exactly how us PA guys early season, just because, you know, growing up for me personally, Troy, it was always like, ah, wait for the rut, you know, like early season, go out here and there, kill a doe if you have the opportunity. And heck, if you get lucky, you see a buck. And I mean, so like the past couple of years, like my goal was, has like the last three has been to try to get on a buck early, like find where they are betting, kind of like what you said, especially the last two years, my dad and I, and I, prior to two years ago, if I tried to make a mock scrape, I was that individual, like you said, doing it wrong. Probably I did not make it look realistic. So two years ago, when I started to gather a little bit more information, especially some of the things and techniques that you started to kind of talk about and get on these podcasts and say, a light bulb went off to me, especially when I, where I go back home and hunt Northeast PA, the hunting pressure where I hunt there, Troy is not as crazy as it is here in central PA. So I kind of feel like, okay, make it a little bit more realistic. And all year round, my dad and I were getting, you know, does fawns when, when they're being born yep. bucks, just hitting everything. And we're getting a lot like of the movement uh, at at night, and it's, but once the season would roll around and these bucks would move in, like like so, starting like now, middle of September, and obviously when this podcast airs here in, in October, it during the day they light up, and it's it's awesome. Yeah. So that's where like man, like I feel like the whole scrape thing has played a huge role into my hunting toolbox that, like I said, I've been dying to have you on. And that's where I want to talk to you, you know, specifically about this now, like where we're getting to in this conversation, that October, that October timeframe, because, you know, how do you, like, my main question is during this time of year, how do you even prioritize how you hunt around different community scrapes in the big woods? Well, that's, that's, that is the question. Um, this time of the year, you know, we're almost to the middle of September. So I will continue for the whole month of September, pretty much trying to stay ahead of my bucks betting zone and hunting those scrape traps that I have set up just me and him mono a mono. And what ends up happening is I end up, I always end up pulling other deer to these scrapes. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool. I mean, it's like, holy cow, now I got eight bucks here. You know, now I got nine deer here. And even if I don't want to kill these other young guys, I've created a community hub that I might kill on three years from now. Right. On a, You know, and, and that's happened to me over and over. So, and I want to stay on course here with what you're asking, but I want to share something with your listeners. Yeah, please. The way I hunt whitetails is different from anybody I've ever known. And a lot of guys are doing it now or using even pieces of what I do. But my end goal, my big picture goal on all of my whitetails is I am conditioning whitetails for generations. People, I don't know if they can believe that or not, but that's what I've done the last four decades. 
especially the last 20 years because I got better and better at it. So what I'm saying is never give up. Like you were saying, you, you and your father, right? Yep. When you guys put, when you build a scrape and, and you make it very authentic and the deer show you via your cameras that they like it and they want to address it and they want to be a part of this community hub, even if it's does and fawns and not the greatest bucks in the world, the young bucks, stop and just step back and say, is this a spot that is huntable later in the season when the breeder bucks are going to show? And like you said, they do. Yep. It starts to light up. Daylight movement picks up. And I would classify those kind of scrapes for me as my, what I would classify as my rut scrapes, meaning the early checking phase of, of the more mature bucks, the seeking phase of mature bucks is dynamite then. And then, of course, the chasing phase and the breeding phase. Because people that understand the biology of a scrape, the does, the does are want to be bred and when they're getting real close will actually come to those scrapes and be close to them and they'll beg close to them mm-hmm. and they'll spend a lot of time near them because what they're doing is they're processing every different whitetail buck that has laid his scent on that licking branch over the last month and if there's a favorable buck that they process and they know that that and, and, and a whitetail doesn't consciously think about it but they are able to process how well those different bucks are metabolizing protein, which in turn triggers them to want to stay there because it's a favorable genetic. It's a healthy genetic, if that makes sense. Yep. And when they pick up on that, a lot of your does will really hold true to certain scrapes for you and they'll pull the best bucks because they know that that genetic is roaming in the area and they want to breed the most favorable genes. And it's not a want thing. It's a, it's an ingrained DNA instinctive thing that just happens in their brain. It's not a emotional choice for a deer, but it happens. And that's where we end up getting the best genes and the healthiest deer. So with all that to say, even the scrapes that a person builds or overmarks. Now, remember, overmarking a great scrape is great too, especially if, you know, especially if it's a communal hub scrape, right? Because you're just adding additional deer to the scrape that the local deer that use it want to know who you are and where you're at. So that'll pick up frequency, and that'll pick up daylight frequency from the breeders, from the bigger deer, the yep. older deer. Yep. So yeah, you know, those kind of scrapes are excellent to hang on to even if you don't have your big target buck there right now never give up on those scrapes where deer show you that they like it especially the old does that's good because you're gonna that's gonna be a great rutting scrape and i shouldn't i hate to use the word rut because the truth is there's so such an elongated group of phases in the rut yeah that play out so what I'm saying to your audience is there's even greater hunting before the rut and right after that heavy concentrated rutting phase. There's some great whitetail hunting on those scrapes before and after. And, and for your listeners, anytime you're near a mature bucks bedding area and there's a scrape that looks right to him, smells right to him, intrigues him. 
guess what he's going to do? He's going to go. check it. Yep. Now, he's going to check it. Have, have, yes. is, have you noticed like any correlation with like cold fronts, the like the Absolutely. after rain, like, like especially yep. during this time, time yep. of year, just because I know more so recently over the last, you know, year or two, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with Steve Shirk over on our neck of the woods in Pennsylvania. I mean, he's put out some great kind of trail cam data and, you know, that 13th through the 18th, 19th frame of October. I mean, his, you know, as long as the, the, a cold front hits, he's getting a lot of daytime activity and he doesn't even really dress up his his scrapes he just finds them and doesn't really do much with them as far as putting scent out is concerned so what are you noticing when it comes to the weather especially during that time frame i notice a lot and unfortunately because i'm a public land guy and i and i do have people that want to know where i'm at um unfortunately i don't share a lot of real-time stuff yep i'm pretty calculated with what i share and don't share um, only because I want to be left alone, you know, <laughs> and the last thing I want is to deal with a guy that thinks he needs to know where my truck is or where Troy's hunting it. Cause it, cause it just ru- doesn't really ruin it. Um, it just, it's just something I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've done this a long, long time. So I'm, I have a ton of that data and I have a ton of those videos. Um, and to answer your question, yes. Um, for example, a, a great example of that, of that is, I probably check the weather and the wind daily more than most people you can imagine. I live on on a couple weather apps and I time all of my hunts at my either established natural overmarked scrapes and they're all community based scrapes or my mocks. And it's and I watch very closely with pressure. And I also watch very closely with storms, rain, all of the above, just like you said. And that's when I move in. I'll move in on a buck because, yes, I've had incredible movement. And moon phase, too. I mean, we can talk about it all. Saw a lot of great daylight movement when I'm in the right area, when I'm close to him. Late September, early October, mid-October. Late October, all of it is great. When you drop temperature, when the pressure changes, um, when you get a storm, I love to hunt right before and right after a storm. If the storm's not too crazy in the mountains where it could kill me, and I'm not joking, where <laughs> right. trees are snapping off, where the timber's snapping, you know, trees are getting broke. If I can get in and hunt even a storm, I usually want to be there if I can hunt a day where the storm's going to cut off and then I'm still sitting in that tree. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yep. I love to catch those last two or three hours after a storm or I love, I absolutely love to hunt and be in a tree the day before and the evening before a storm rolls in. Nice. So yeah, playing all of those games around weather, weather's huge weather. Probably don't, we probably don't talk about weather enough in the hunting world. We talk about, tons of stuff but do we truly break down weather factors you know weather pushes whitetails like weather pushes us humans around think about how we plan our days as humans around weather well whitetails do too and they hunker down when it's nasty now there's one exception to that in the middle of the heaviest estrus you know explosion in the rut then 
I, you can't hardly get me out of a tree in a good area during that. I don't care what it's doing unless this tree, if the trees are snapping off, I'll get out, you know, and that's about it. But only during that high, high estrus concentration of does. Well, but I'm in it. I I just stay because I've seen some of the oldest, most skittish whitetails on those kind of just horrible, nasty days, but it always coincided with a high amount of estrus concentration going on those coming in or in, if that makes sense. Yep. 100%. And yeah, but, but like back to right now, I've got a cold front coming that I'm literally planning on hunting a specific buck after, and I'm going to time it with that front and the right wind direction. And I'll see a pickup in daylight movement, even now in late September that the bucks are in Hardhorn. I will see a pickup in daylight movement just with that weather alone, even in September. It gets better in October, November because it gets colder. Right. Do you like, yeah, and I'm looking at, yeah, go ahead. I was just say, do you like planning those for a, like the day, the morning after of that cold front comes in or it, it, you know, when it just whatever your schedule allows you to. Well, some of it's my schedule and I can usually this time of the year with, with it staying light so late, I can usually make, I can usually hunt any day that I need to at least a, two to three hours sit in the evening. Got it. And then of course my mornings, I, my mornings, if, if, if it's like right before a red moon or red moon and I got a big drop in temperature and I, I've got a front coming through, I might take a personal day, you yep. know, yep. because I know it's going to be that good. But, but, but you as a teacher know, we only have so many of those. Yep. Exactly. You know, so yes, I will do that if it's incredible, even right now. Um, I hunted that red moon a little while back and I had white tail movement at my mock scrapes that people wouldn't believe in the day. Now my big buck didn't come through that day. And that's, that's part of it in the mountains. You don't, you don't see these deer every day. They don't, they're not confined to a small woodlot. They have, they have all the odds in their favor when it comes to country and cover to hide out in and do what they want and food in every direction for tens and 20, 30, 40, 50 miles. So it's a little bit different game. You have to have them hooked on your trap, your scrape, mm-hmm. you know, and you got to be close to them. And so he didn't roll through that day, but, but it was, a it was just an incredible day that day. I had the right wind. I mean, you know, it was, it was 95 degrees uh, during the midday, but that morning it was like, I got out of my pickup at, five in the morning or four thirty, and got down to my stand. It, it took me a half hour to get there. And, you know, it was, it was like 49 degrees that morning. Right. I was pretty, you know, the, the mountains do that. The mountains have crazy temperature drops and temperature gains through the day. And when you're hunting at 5,000 feet, it's a lot cooler than down in the valleys too. So yeah, all that to say weather conditions are huge. I mean, just, they're just incredible. And I like it when it ties into the right moon phase too, because I feel like that moon does have a secondary or a, have a part, you know, it does have a pull on these deer. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Now that helps out. I mean, just because like you said, we're both teachers and <laughs> there's just certain days where when I look ahead, yeah. I'm, I'm like, Oh man, that is going to be good. And either I'm you know, my, someone's, someone's not feeling well, or like you said, that personal day comes in really handy during that time frame. Yeah, absolutely. And man, when it's right, you got to go. 
Yeah. It, especially, especially when I'm after one specific buck that when all the conditions are right for him, and he feels good about moving. If I can get in there and be set up on him without him knowing I'm there, but he thinks he's just bulletproof. That's when you kill him. Right. Let me ask you this question, Troy, when you come into, and like I said, we're, we're talking big woods here and you're going into an area, maybe that, that you're looking forward to getting into and you're starting to see the sign pick up, you know, are you setting up on that either that community scrape, or if you see, say a new little scrape, uh, popped up and got rubbed, you know, busted open. Do you hunt that freshest one or are you going to the one maybe that you're, you know, you know that that community scrape has always kind of helped produce or you're, you're getting the most camera images of. Yeah. I, I won't hunt just a scrape that gets busted open. Um, I don't have any Intel on it. I don't know if it was made only at night by a trespasser or somebody rolling through. Yeah. But when I, but when I get to these communal hubs or I create one, build one in a heavy transition zone based on all different kinds of factors, food, water, uh, cover, security cover, all that put together, um, you know, away from people, all that to say, Basically, I'm, I'm hunting areas where that terrain often funnels deer and they don't even realize it. Yeah. But it's the re- it's also the reason why these community scrapes pop up in those areas. And it's because of heavier traffic by multiple deer families and then individual bucks. So for me, you'll, ne- you'll never see me hanging hunt over a freshly scratched out scrape. Got it. Um, might I hang a camera on it to see who might return or who blew it up? Sure. Rarely will I hunt it because I usually have something in the vicinity that's a hub, that's a communal hub that already is showing me and telling me all the bucks that are in the area. Right. If you will. Yep. But let's say I go into a brand new area, brand new, like this year I went into a brand new area it's it's a grizzly area there's a lot of grizzlies so i mean it's it's freaking serious it's no horsing around and no bs and i went into this new area with a good buddy of mine and i rarely hunt with people but i have one really good buddy that's just rock solid trustworthy and anyway he and i dove into this area and it has grizz and we got to deal with this different stuff but the reason we went into it is everything we hunt is uphill i mean it's uphill climb so we're getting you know we're trying to just basically go into where most guys it's not worth it to them to hunt a whitetail there when they could go hunt a whitetail at the family farm down in the valley you know what i mean right so anyway let's say you dive into something brand new and like we did this summer and we um we had some intel on a tremendous uh shed antler and some bucks that have been killed in the rifle seasons in the past in this general area Anyway, we dove into this for archery and wanted to get a jump on everybody else and be ahead of everybody. So we got the whole month of September to be ahead of them. And then we can hunt all through the rifle season with a bow out here. And then we can hunt the late season. So we get that to ourselves too. So that was the plan. We dove into it and we did come across those. Even they know they weren't exactly fresh right now in the summer. I can tell what kind of scrape they were. They were, they were just a, 
you know, a buck was excited. He blew something open and I could tell by inspecting the licking branches and the ground real good that it was a one time, maybe a two or three time touch this scrape. And then it just kind of dried up and dwindled away because deer were not interested in it for, for whatever reasons. A lot of times it's the, uh, a lot of times it's because it's just not located right for the deer mm-hmm. to feel comfortable to come back to it and come back to it over and again, over and over. And it's most of the time it's out in the open too much in this country. So what I do is when I see those and I start seeing that sign, I start, you know, really taking an inventory of the area and the security cover and the slope and the terrain. And then I go, okay, I'll bet you right up there, right out on that ridge or right out, you know, I'll, I'll break it all down and then I'll walk into those areas that are close to where I start picking that sign up. Maybe it's a, another half hour away or 15 minutes away and boom, guess what I'll usually find when I go in and get into the type of terrain that funnels deer in that general area. What I'll usually find is those big scrapes. scrapes. Yep. Yes. Yes. So instead of getting excited about very low percentage scrape that doesn't show the signs of years and years of use, I go until I find that heavily pounded transition area, travel area by deer, and then there's usually always a scrape there, or I build one in one of those areas, or both. You know, sometimes I'll get in and find a incredible community scrape, and I'll just add to it. I'll build a cluster. Yep. And I'll make, and and what that does is it makes all the deer in the local area that have grown up there know that scrape that they get. It's almost like it gets them excited about what's going on here. I'm like, man, this is a party. You know, exactly. this is where it's at. This is the happening hangout. And that's what happens with these deer. That seems to be exactly what I kind of stumbled upon this summer and what I'm seeing now in the trail cam pictures because I have a communal scrape that is just hanging over some, just some hemlock basically. And these deer on up in Northeastern Pennsylvania just love hammering these little hemlock trees. They're like that little pine and that's the actually the image that I had today after the rain. There's actually a, a doe in the scrape and you could see him coming and he is just like no like you know like that picture you like you see when you picture a, a buck already chasing and his head's kind of like down yep. and that's he's just a tank of a of a buck already doing that and just yep. going right to that yep. scrape and you, you go 113 yards towards the going towards like where the downward part of the mountain goes with the ridges. And it just starts going to point after point after point. And you walk there, there's a double scrape and I forget the type of tree that's there. But again, every time you see this type of tree, there's always a scrape. Well, that's a double scrape and that I've had multiple bucks hit this now. And as you continue to work to where I said, all those points are it, that that's where I'm super excited about getting kind of close to that area because of the cover and the the bedding that I've found, all that type of stuff. And it's just, it's screaming exactly what you're just saying. And man, this just is, this is exciting because I, I feel like, holy crap, finally the light bulbs are going off for me. But I think for people listening, like you're just saying the that the important of those terrain features are, are critical in your scrape setup, one that you find and you could, like you said, doctor it up or when you start making that, mock scrape to to funnel those deer to a certain way and to the terrain features is is so incredibly important 
yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're hunting deer on their terms and they think they are in a safe area. Yep. And they think, not think they, they have processed in their life that this is a safe place to communicate during the daytime, yep. not just at night, but during the day. And when you can crack those places and set up on them and be able to get in and out without contaminating and, and really ruining them, um, man, you can have some incredible hunts and not just one hunt or two hunts. You can, you can hunt some of these type of places. And, I, and this is what I really enjoy. I like it when I can kill three or four bucks in a decade at one scrape. That's pretty cool. And we're talking five-year-olds. Yeah. Out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. So, you know, th- that's the game I enjoy playing. Now, will I move on a buck? Absolutely. What I was just referring to is more of that October through November heavy social activity whitetail hunting. Right. Um, this month of September is hunting one on one, mono a mono, which usually is the equation for me but boy when you get into the right location for bucks that works for them you end up picking up two or three or four or five bucks this time of year which is also really cool and what's interesting about that is this time of the year they're all coming from different directions and different distances but i'm close enough to their general bedding zones and where their water is and where there's good feed right now where i'm pulling them now when I say I'm pulling them, I'm making bucks come and hunt me at my traps. Yep. They want to know whose scent they're picking up that they smell that they never see. Because if you watch bucks on video camera come in when there's another buck there, and it doesn't matter if it's it does not matter if it's April, May, June, July, August, or September. They're just like a dang human. Those dudes are checking those other dudes out and who their competition is. And I don't care what anybody says. They are so competitive. I mean, they're trying to survive and pass on their DNA. And if you really pay attention to all those little details of what a whitetail does and how they live their lives and what's important to them and what matters and what doesn't, it's one of the most important things there is to them. And whitetails are very social. That's why they, that's why they've just been gifted with all these glands and scents and and this this bodily system that allows them to communicate when they're not around. Mm-hmm. Meaning when you know when Big White Tail leaves his scent, he can communicate that with ten or fifteen different deer in my area over a two week period, three week period, and then he can come back and check on it. And they can check on him. And if they like what they are smelling, especially those ladies, when it gets a little closer to mid-October, late October, they start frequenting these areas even more, and so does he. So that's a game I'm playing, and it's it, it's very, I don't know, it's just really cool to hunt that way because you're, I mean, you're diving into their DNA, and you're you're basically mimicking them right. to, compete with, to compete with you. Right. Yep. And that's the one thing that I, I, that's the one aspect that when I've heard you talk about, that's the one thing that I love and am trying to push myself to 
get these bucks to to do that and be like, okay, let's let's play this game like you said that mono mono and see if I'm able to to get that. And like I said, I, heck, even here in Central PA, I threw up uh, a mock scrape and. I found a, a a good looking branch that was already, uh, you know, that's been used for at least maybe a year or two, and it's on some real steep you know, stuff that, like you were saying, that I'm sure a lot of people, as far as humans hunters go, may not really want to dive into. And right, it, and early on, I got a a couple doe to hit it. I got a younger buck that. I, you know, I'm maybe in years past on, on public land here, I would have for sure really would have taken maybe late season for me, I would take it. But at the same time, I was like, man, I'm holding out just, just this area just looks too good to be true. Because like you were saying, the only time you go straight down, you flattens out a hair and there's a crick bottom there at the bottom and then it goes Troy straight up. I mean, it is just yep. thick and nasty. I'm like, so I got to I like I said when I found that licking branch I hung a camera up high. You fast forward a couple weeks, we hit the end of August. I got two really nice big buck on there and then now the last couple week or two at least one two times a week I'm getting during the morning I'm getting bucks and it's I'm marking down the how the weather is and where the wind is going down in that area just to get a yep. gist of what what kind of winds I could hunt these buck potentially and just as I have another spot here in central PA so yeah it's I I love this this style of of hunting like I've heard people like oh I don't hunt over scrapes they're they're made over you know they're they're only visited at night and all that type of stuff and but you know it's that for some people okay but this is a, a game and tactic that I'm, I'm really enjoying the to 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 run again this year Yep. And for me, you know, being an Idaho boy and never being allowed to feed or bait or anything, it was, it was just, it just always made sense to me, yep. even in my late teens, early twenties too. And, and a part of it was is that I, you know, I was fortunate of where I grew up. I grew up on a 50 acre place out in the mountains, you know, yep. three or four miles off a highway. And the truth is, I'd watch the whitetails when I was young, and they taught me. I saw, well, you know, I saw velvet bucks just starting to grow their antlers in May, hitting licking branches on my place. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And the same bucks come back to this two or three times a week in the daylight, right out my back window. Yep. So, you know, to me, it just made sense when I was young. Well, there's something to this, and they're coming to it. And then they start growing in the summer and you got a, you know, you got a three or a four year old hanging around on your place in the summer and he's, they're all hitting this same licking branch and same scrape that they're not pawing in at the time, but they're still hitting that licking branch. And it just, you know, it just made sense to me. Well, I need to apply this everywhere I hunt these whitetails because they will come to it. Mm -hmm. And it's not against, you know, it's not against the regulations of the state. So yeah. yeah. And you know, 40, 45 bucks. I don't know what later with the archery equipment in Idaho, Washington, and mostly the Northwest, a few from out of state, but you know, almost 50 bucks later, I can't argue with, I, I'll always hunt with, with, uh, I'll always hunt these big woods with a scrape in the equation. And I always do. I, I can't remember the last time I didn't. I mean, if I go, even if I go hang and hunt, I killed one of my biggest white tails ever in October and it was a hanging hunt. And guess what? I threw at this buck in his face 
three hours before I killed him or two hours before I killed him. That mock scrape. I now, threw a big scrape, right? Now when, when, yeah, I let that when, wind, I let that wind blow at him all day and then he came right to it and I shot him in it two or three hours later after I built it. Now, when you set up on these bucks like that, Troy, are you setting up a couple yards uh, away from that scrape and you're kind of cutting them off on that trail to it or are you able to shoot right into that scrape? I personally, and this is, guys can do whatever they want, but I personally can always shoot my scrape. Got it. I don't want a buck to come to my scrape and I can't kill him there. That's just, that's, you know, that's my game. So I always make sure I can shoot my scrape and I can shoot prior to it. Usually if they J hook down, whatever the wind's doing that day, I, I usually need the wind and the thermal, not usually, I gotta quit using that word. I need the wind and thermal to, to get to his face. And then I'm set up, you know, there's guys that talk about this and it works everywhere. It works in every state I've ever hunted. I'm always, I'm always flirting with that wind a little bit <laughs> and I'm off to the edge. So he comes in comfortable and not hope to God, not picking up a swirl off of me or, you know, I'm just off to the edge of what he has in his face. Love it. And that scrapes position at a distance that I can kill that, but also at a distance that allows that wind and thermal to bend to him and into his bedding zone, wherever he's laying up and where I believe he is. And I'm coming in usually almost always from that lateral elevation, 25, 30 yards away. A lot of times I'll J hook closer to me because of the way the wind's working and I'll kill him closer. But my point is I'm just off the edge of his nose, but I'm missing it. His, he's missing my scent. Right. Now, now I get real clean. I hunt a height that works for me based on the mountain slopes. So sometimes I got to hunt pretty high because I'm not always on flat ground. Or, uh, I'm rarely on flat ground unless I find a beautiful bench. Um, and I'm always coming in almost, almost always from the east because I get so many south of the wind. But hey, you know, yep. you end up finding those where you can only come in from the West for a reason. That's why a giant's there because he's got that figured out. Right. What, so I wait for those Norse and those East. What is your, uh, I heard you call it like your triangle set up before you, could you explain yes. that? Could you explain that? Absolutely. And I love talking about it because I get to hunt like Eastern Washington, you can bait and I get to hunt Ohio where guys bait. Yep. And man, I want everybody to hear this. If you're going to go compete against bait, you got to be able to beat it. If you can't beat and compete, you'll never have does around. So this triangle that I build, let's use, let's, you know, I'm going to Ohio this year. I, I'm hunting Eastern Washington right now. What the triangle is, and I just create, it's pretty simple, but I created it on my own and it is deadly. In a state that allows somebody to feed, or allows a you know Oklahoma where I hunt, people feed corn everywhere. Um, I'll set my stand location and my scrape where I can kill a big buck at it, and I use the scrape because I know a big white tail that's been fed his whole life learns not to eat at a food pile in the daylight. But to hold some does and keep does around, especially if I'm hunting mid-October to late November, early December, where there's rutting, pre-rut, seeking, chasing, all of the above phases, breeding phase, everything going on, I 
I like to keep some does around. And when you hunt the big woods in the mountains in states that allow feeding, if you don't keep does around and you hunt a very low deer density area, you, you probably aren't going to keep a buck around mm-hmm. during those times of the year when they're when they're working on either gathering intel on does or actually seeking does or breeding does. So in this triangle, but like in this country up here, Eastern Washington, for example, or when I hunted Canada and Alberta, um, I'll use those two as an example. I'll put out some alfalfa just to hold my does and I'll put it off at a distance away from me that is not too close to my scrape because I don't want to spook a buck. And I always have my scrape in this triangle. The triangle is my tree, the feed for the females, and then where I believe I can get a big buck to come in and inspect. Because he won't come to the feed. He'll, he'll shy from it. And I'll put that in some thicker cover, that scrape. And, man, I have killed some of the best bucks of my life on those scrapes out of that triangle. And they'll never go over to that feed in the daylight. Yep. So I build this triangle. I give a buck what he needs. And he feels comfortable with that scrape. And I've sit and videoed and watched them. Bucks that I don't want to shoot, but they're great. They're good bucks for, you know, sometimes four or five-year-old. And I'm tapping after a different whitetail. So I even get to see the old bucks do this. And they'll literally stand 60 yards away downwind and won't go near it during that day. At nighttime, you'll get them on camera. Yes. At that alfalfa. Now, that's because my deer are so pressured and skittish up here. Now, when you go to Canada, and it's different. It's it's different up there. There's not as much pressure. All you got to do is watch Canadian whitetail, and they'll come right to the feed, too. But they're still hunting good wind. But my point is where I'm at, my bucks are so skittish of it, they won't go near it. Now, I'm talking about my old deer. Younger buck will. And there's a lot of competition around, a lot of guys hunting over bait. I just put that way out there to keep does around. I want that doe scent and I want, oh no, those does hit my scrapes like crazy, but they'll also walk right over in the daylight and get a bite. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But my old bucks won't, they will not address. They, I have never in a state where I was allowed to put my build my triangle. I have never to this day in my life shot one where the feed is. They literally shy from it and stay way back, but they'll come and hit that scrape and that, heavy cover just off my wind and I'll smoke them at 25 yards and that other stuff, you know, the feed might be 40, 50 yards away. So that's how the, the triangles, my tree stand and those two entities. And I got some buddies out here. They tease me. They say, yeah, Troy, deadly triangle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it just made sense to me to give a buck what he needs, but not too close to where he's too far away yep. of what he's afraid of during the daylight. Yep. Now, will he come in at night and get me great pictures on that, on a, on a, on a, on some alfalfa? Absolutely. So I can get intel on him, but I gotta all, I've always had to kill him, you know, at a 45 degree angle the other way off my tree. See, it's like a 90 degree angle set up in a triangle. And I got one at a 45 and, you know, I spread, and the more I spread it out over the years, the better it worked. Okay. You know, I, you get it too close and then it's just like, too much negative stimuli going on there for an old buck to want to come in, right. even to the scrape. So I really, I really try to fan it out, and that's worked really good for me in states where feeding is. I just said that's worked really good in the states where feeding's allowed, yeah. where you can bait. 
Okay. And I play the game, man. I, if I'm going to go spend that money and travel and hunt those states, man, I'm all about giving a buck everything he wants, but also if I'm hunting during any phase of the rut, I want my, I want does around. Yep. I want that scent. I want that scent at my scrapes and I want that scent all over my area. So yeah, that's the game I play there. I like that. And then when you look at that middle of October and it's that Saturday, the, you know, it's, you're, you're getting out there, the weather looks good. What does that day of your sit look like? Are you staying put all day? Are you moving around where needed or, or that's, that's it. If, if the uh, wind is playing what you want it to play. Well, old mature bucks have taught me to be patient because they will, they will show up at my scrapes on the most random, non-conventional times of the day of any other deer. And it's because they've learned not to frequent a lot of stuff early morning, late evening. They've learned that. They've learned that's a little more dangerous in their lifetime. Somehow, some way, they had a they had a threatening situation in their life or they got you know, shot at, or, you know, they've learned this. So I'm an all day guy from about, I'm an all day guy next week. I mean, here's how crazy these old bucks are in this country. The best bucks I'm hunting right now, even during the velvet, even in August before the season opened, they were showing up at my spots, my sites, my scrapes at two in the afternoon, random. Uh, 10.30 in the morning, randomly. I mean, just, they do it a lot. They That 10 to 2 time to me is huge on an old yep. whitetail. Yeah. On an old whitetail. Guess when all the other deer are showing up, just by clockwork. The morning. Mornings. Yeah. yeah, morning. Morning movement, evening movement, conventional movement that 90% of the whitetail hunters in the country believe in because that's when you see more deer i don't care about seeing lots of deer i want to see the deer i'm trying to kill and he's learned to avoid humans by not being conventional you know he has learned to be different and to move differently and to let the early morning travel alert him from maybe quarter mile away in his bed and he's learned to allow the evening travel to alert him but he might slip in it 215 in the afternoon and check that scrape and it's in a state where there's a little feed he might snoop at it you know you just don't I, that's what i've seen for decades yeah so if i can get a full day in with a cold front and i don't care what month it is and if i know i'm near a buck that's betting that i want to kill if i know if i'm in, in i'm in the if i'm in his wheelhouse meaning i He'll come by me in the daylight. He's shown me that on my intel for my cameras. I have no problem sitting all day right now. Yep. Um, why? Because I'm in his bedding zone. I'm close enough to him that if he feels like getting up and coming by and hitting my licking branch and checking that scrape, and the closer he gets to the rut, the better. Because they do have that pull that natural pull to go check more as time gets closer to the rut and not quite sure what it's like in Pennsylvania, but October out here can just be dynamite when it gets cold. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, I mean, uh, some of my best friends that hunt 
man, that first big cold front, like not the one that could potentially be opening day. I'm talking that middle, right. that middle October, that first drop, yeah. man, those three, yeah. those three days, my, one, my, oh, one, yeah. one of my bet, like good friends, Tim, I think the last three, three years, I don't think he's seen October 25th without having his buck tag already filled. So it's yep. just, he, you know, he has the time that, that allows him to, to do that, which is great. But man, he capitalizes on that every single year. If you hunt, if you can hunt that first big cold front of the fall, and if you're a scrape hunter, like you, you really are dedicated to making these bucks hunt you and you're in the right location. Mm-hmm. October's incredible. That whole October lull is simply deer that have been educated and they're nobody's hunting near their beds. Yep. I hunt near the bed. I hunt near their bedding zone. They're picking up my scent that I lay out on them, thinking I'm two or three or five or six other deer at a communal scrape. It's pretty hard for them to not check it. Um, two of the biggest whitetails, I'm sitting down in my whitetail room right now, and I'm looking at uh, a great big one, two, three, four, five, six, eight by seven, and a big six by six that I killed. October, October bucks, two of the best <laughs> bucks I've ever killed with a bow and arrow. One's 186, the other one's 166. And two of the best bucks I've ever killed in my life in October. And both of them were scrape induced buck kills. I love it, man. Yeah, and I I've never bought, I've never believed that October low bullshit. Excuse yep. my language. No. It just means if you're not in the reason the reason you're not seeing stuff in October is you're hunting an area where you're not in the game with where they're betting. I think you're that, just not in the game with where they're betting. That that to me has I think always been my missing personally, like my missing point like especially when i would go back home like i would see certain deer travel uh like in that middle october nothing crazy not that big mature buck a younger buck and heck man i remember even last year when i was back at home on a weekend in the middle of october i was down the one ridge i hear doe come running up like up to me and i hear the a buck grunting and it's just this little six point like on the heels of these young doe already i'm like dude it's you know it we're three two and a half three weeks away from it really kicking in gear here but like i was mentioned earlier to you on that spot that i've rescouted and really put in like i found multiple beds like this is a place like i'm salivating at to for that first cold front and when this podcast airs troy hopefully it's like this week <laughs> so that's right. you know right. and that's I, I i hope man this that's why I, I like I said I really wanted to to chat this you know conversation with you because it's really important for me to obviously get this information out there for all the listeners but you know and for me personally to to grow and get better and 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 take this kind of quote unquote masterclass from you so man I I I I love it like we could continue to go and one of the the last questions that I do want to ask you before uh, the 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 times up here Troy is with the relation to the, the bedding of, of like your scrapes or when you find these communal scrapes, you know, are you, how far away are you really, if you make a mock scrape, putting it from their, their bedding area? Um, 
I can put it a ways away if the wind and the thermals work really good through the mountain timber where I'm at. Yeah. If, if I've got mountainous structure and ridges and stuff that just flat out bank my thermals and winds to the area where I believe they're batted based on not guessing, but Intel that I get. Yep. Then I usually have to get a little closer. So I can do pretty good being a quarter mile away from a big white tail. 400 yards, no problem, because in the mountains, 400 yards like 100 yards in the farm yep. country. No yeah. buck. <laughs> it really is. Yep. So 400-yard travel is nothing to them. No. Some places, though, some of these bucks, man, they get, they don't get bluffed out or clipped out, but they get into some spots that are like, you got to be within 200. Yeah. And then you're just then then you're just really splitting hairs because you gotta you know you gotta be like that mountain lion or that wolf that doesn't tip them off at 200 yards to even to even get them and you know whitetails don't come to mountain lions the wolves I'm making them come to me and I'm sitting there you know yep. they're always hunting them down they get close and they try to chase them down and kill them you know I have a lot of whitetail bucks on camera. And, bucks that I've killed that have mountain lion claw marks all over their chest or back Crazy. scars. Nuts. Like I have video of a buck. I called the lion buck that literally got ripped to freaking sheds by a mountain lion and he survived it. And I hunted him a couple of years. I never did kill that deer, but I swear to God, he was the most crackheaded, <laughs> insane white tail buck I ever tried to kill just because he had been ripped to shreds by a, by a lion and survived it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So even even in the summer in the velvet, he'd walk around like he was on crack, <laughs> you know, just just insanely intense all the time, yep. making sure he was that it, that the coast was clear everywhere he walked. Yep. Man. But anyway, yeah, it, you know the the thing you know for your listeners, I know you want to talk about October is man, if you have the intel on your whitetails and if you're good enough, and I mean this, you got to be good enough to infiltrate and exit without ruining that bedding area. Yeah. Or you might only get the one crack at a deer and then it's over. And I understand that whole idea of one crack and then go somewhere else. And, and the reason that is, is because the reason most guys only kill their deer on that first hunt is because that's the only crack they're going to get because they, they're, it's, it's that element of surprise being in a good spot. And that, and that is, there's a lot of truth to that. And I think if I lived in the Midwest, I would really, I would probably hunt a little, I would, I would hunt differently in a way because I know that my deer only had so many options to go hide out in. You know what I mean? Yep. But my whitetails have the advantage, unbelievable advantage of where they can go. They can literally leave a drainage and go to the next drainage and live the rest of their life out or the two drainages over with, you know, it's five, 10 miles as crow flies. They do whatever the hell they want because there's, there's no limitations to where they want to go. So for me, it's always about uh, balancing and pushing and being real aggressive to a point and then boom, knowing where to say no farther. I'm not, I'm not pushing any farther on this guy. I'm going to kill him here. And I might have to hunt him four times or five times to kill him or I might hunt the son of a gun for four years and finally get a crack at him and finally see him in the daylight. Yeah. That's just the way it rolls. And sometimes I kill him on the very first set and other times I kill him on the fourth year. So 
So that's just how it rolls. Yeah. I mean, like you said, that the importance of that entry and exit route and just not allowing those deer to one know that you are there, but also the whole, I mean, it's, it's tenfold too, because if you are hunting around that mock scrape, you don't want to tip your hat off to that either. No. And I like bulletproof setup. So I personally spend a exorbitant amount of time detailing out where that tree stand's going to go and how I'm going to get in and out. I had my, give me a few minutes here. I know we're getting late, but I want to share this. Yeah, please. I had my boot. I have my boot camp guys here. Um, this summer I had like 15 guys here. Some guys from Canada came down and I took them all out into the woods to a really good ridge. Now, is it my best hunting ridge? No, but it's a really great ridge to teach on. And I hadn't been in there in like 10 years. Um, and I wanted to go back to it because it, it was very productive in the past. I just have found a better genetic deer in some other places. So I've been concentrating the last decade in some other areas because of the genetics. But I took these guys in and trumped them all in there and, and basically was teaching them in the moment to, to fill the thermals, to fill the prevailing wind, to just stop and take the time to break down what it's doing and to watch it in the trees. And the trees will tell you, because like I said, we have that old man's beard hanging off all of our trees. So it's like, it's like a hundred windicators to look at within 50 yards. So they're watching all this. And, and you know, we got to this beautiful spot. And before we got there, I said, you know, I haven't been in here in 10 years, but this spot will have a scrape at it. I'm almost positive. They didn't cheat. I didn't go out there and look beforehand. Sure enough, we walked into this perfect terrain-based feature, multiple ridge dumping little bench, and there was a scrape there. And this was this summer, um, June, I believe it was, and there was a scrape there. And, it, you know, you can tell the deer have been working it for a long time and and then I had the guys break the wind down at that scrape and they, they took, I made them take the time to do it. And they were like, after 10 minutes, they're like, we, we can't hunt here. Can we? And I said, no, that's why I made you stay. That's why I made you stand here because of the terrain and the way the wind and thermals. Now the prevailing wind was perfect on the weather app. The prevailing wind, because of the terrain in the mountains there, wasn't perfect because it was banking off of a ridge and up a bowl and getting it getting to us. And I said, guys, this is where so many dudes make mistakes. They see this beautiful big scrape. They see this incredible looking terrain and, and different trees you could hang from. Great entry, but they don't take the time to spend 10 to 15 minutes and really feel what the wind is doing and how it's mixing with the thermals here and how it's banking off the mountain. Right. Off the ridges. And they're like, well, how do you hunt this? And I said, you can't. Well, what do you do here? This is an awesome, I mean, this is, you know, guys were asking me, making these kind of statements. Well, so, so what's the answer? And I said, that's where you say no. And that's why you spend the time I made you guys stand here. And they're like, yeah, this makes sense now. Never yeah. taken the time. So then I said, now we're going to, now, now look, let's go let's push up to that next little bend in a ridge and a bit of a bench and let's see if that prevailing is high enough up there to not bank off of that ridge over there because it's low let's go up a little higher in elevation and see what happens 
So we climbed up the whole group. I think there was 15 of us. And we got up to that next spot. And it was just magical. There was a giant community scrape there. But guess what worked for us hunters there? The wind. Yep. We got to a spot where the deer loved it up there too. They sh- the deer showed us by what the sign showed us. Bigger scrape, better looking scrape, more abused, used scrape. And that's what you want to see. Yep. You want to find scrapes that have licking branches that have been abused. That tells you a lot. That's when I get excited. Especially if I know there's a big deer in the vicinity. Um, so then we got there, and then I broke it all down for him, and we spent an hour there. We did everything. We broke down all the wind, all the thermals, all the scenarios with the morning thermal, evening thermal, the switch. And then once we did all that and talked about it all, we, were, we, we all agreed we could hunt this scrape if we came in from the east. So then we got on our phones and got on our maps. Now, I already knew what roads were out beyond me, but they didn't, but I had them check. So then they got on their maps and they started looking. They're like, yeah, there's a road out there, Troy, quarter mile away, half a mile away, roughly. We could come in from that eastern ridge, park way back. And I, and I talked to them about parking behind ridges, too. Never, mm-hmm. ever drive a rig out into an area in the big woods where the animals can hear your pickup pull right in. Parka park a mile back on purpose and walk in, you know, mm-hmm. so they don't hear your rig rolling in the morning. I mean, that's just a dead giveaway in the mountains. So anyway, we broke all that down. But then we, I had them go walk about a hundred yards of that exit and entrance trail. And then we found this awesome draw and ravine that you could come in on off the road. The road was about a quarter mile away. And we just, we mapped it all out, looked at it, felt it, were able to have the wind talk to us the whole time we were there. And then the guys were like, this, this is like different. Now we get it. Now we get where you're coming from. You you know, I had to bring them out in the woods Mm -hmm. so that they could experience it all. And then I had them pick a tree based on entrance exit. And I mean, we literally mapped out an entrance route that was a quarter mile in. Yep. And we, you know, and, and they, they absolutely loved it. I had them tromp up through and the brush and literally pick a low brush little lane in a couple spots and some places they could trim to get in and out of that place just to get to the kill tree. And then we doctored the scrape and we picked the kill tree and we were very happy with it all. And I told you guys, so there's a big buck here, kill a big buck here, easy, because it was one of those bulletproof climb up kind of a draw bounce up bump up onto this little bench you're right on the edge of the bench and everything is out beyond you and the wind is working perfect in your favor for entrance and exit yep you know and then we doctored the scrape and we built it and i put a camera on it and there's eight or nine bucks there right now (laughs) that's awesome and it and it is a bulletproof entrance or parking hike in Entrance and exit, the last 200 yards is just money. And and like I told the guys, if you just walked in the way we walked in and saw this beautiful area and hung a stand and hunted it, you'd get to hunt it once or twice. Mm-hmm. But if you do it the way I showed you how to do it, you can hunt it for 20 years. Unbelievable. That's awesome. how I like to hunt. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome, Troy. Well, to wrap things up, rapid fire, one thing to hunt October and one thing to not do during October. 
early October, and this goes anywhere in the country, you better be you better be pushing it and aggressive with a bedding area. But I personally would not hunt October without a scrape involved. So that's something you got to do. Why? The the whitetails in October, especially those older bucks, are starting to think about their game plan for the fall with those. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be on their feet, and they're going to start not just thinking about food in October, but they're going to start thinking about other things than just food. So you got to, you know, October pretty close to known buck bedding, but also where that overlaps with doe bedding. And you can place that scrape or find one and overmarch it in that draw circles. Love it. Buck bedding, doe bedding, where those circles can overlap at a scrape if you were drawing circles on a map. So that's one. And what not to do in October? Don't sit home on the couch and think that October's a waste of time. Because <laughs> I've killed two of the biggest bucks of my life in October. Um, don't get discouraged because you're not seeing a ton of rut activity. But as that month gets later, you're going to see some buck activity at these. If you're if you'll you'll dedicate to some scrape hunting, licking branch, especially early October, mid October, you're going to see some buck activity that you've probably never seen before if you're if you dedicate to it. Yep. Daylight, daylight activity, movement. I mean, I'm an all-day guy on a killer spot, October on, and even in September, like I said, near the right bedding area. But remember, we're talking October, so yeah. But again, don't don't buy into people telling you can't kill in October. You got to you got to get in with them, and you got to know you have to have knowledge of your whitetails in your area. But you can kill in October. I mean, look at Justin Hollinsworth. Look yeah. at Look at a lot of these guys that are getting this October figured out. They're, I mean, they're they're proving that October is a great time to kill. Absolutely, I yep. like it. I like it, Troy. Man, I appreciate you so so much for 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 doing this and coming on. It, it truly is a and a privilege to have you on and honor. So thank you so much. Where could people follow along and well follow your journey for uh, your hunting season? Um. Instagram is the easiest and it's MTN underscore man, mountain man, 33, um, Instagram, anybody can chat with me. People, if I, if, if you send me a message, I will get back to you, but it's hunting season. So <laughs> the hardest time to talk to me is right now. And it's, and, and, and I really do talk to multiple people daily, like sometimes 50 people a day. Uh, don't take it personal if I don't get right back to you this time of year. But Instagram's a great place. I mean, obviously, I'm chasing my boys' college football career and busy working like you do. We, you know what our schedule's like. You, yeah. you and I have the same schedule. Uh, but also, you know, I'm doing um, stuff for white tail addictions, uh, trying to put a good kill together this year on film or two. So white tail addictions, I got a couple older episodes there. I'm trying to put another good one together this year. And then I, I, uh, I got tied up with the hunt stand guys this year. So I'm putting out, I'll be putting out um, some short video stuff and kind of a weekly update with the hunt stand guys. Awesome. That's just, that we're just putting together right now, like my first 
my first uh, clips are being sent off this week. So that's the spot. But Instagram's the way to find me. I, I have a Facebook through a partner. It's loaded. You know, I got like maxed out almost there. But always like to chat with guys on Instagram. And then I have a YouTube page, just my name, where I'll throw lots of scrape and buck clips off my trail cams on. You're probably not going to get to see the bucks I'm hunting right now, but you'll get to see a lot of, but you're going to get to see the evidence. Absolutely. The evidence, exactly. Which, which is what guys want to see in bucks that I've killed. So, yep. yeah. And, and if, like I said, if, if I wasn't a public land guy, you'd see a lot more of the right now evidence too, but I'm trying to be creative enough with that uh, to where I can do some of the right now stuff just without tipping my hat too much to where I'm at. Yeah, no doubt, Troy. Well, thank you again so much. I appreciate it. Uh, big week coming up then for for this for when this episode drops. So best of luck to everybody out there hunting. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Till next time, Antler Up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you, everybody, again, for so much of the support. Thanks for checking us out. Make sure to go over to www.antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, Go Wild pages, our YouTube stuff. Uh, Thank you, everybody, so much for all the support. We'll see you next week. Antler Up.